This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Samuel. There are going to be many times and seasons in our lives when we're wondering, like, what is God up to? I don't understand what he's up to. I don't get what he's doing here. I thought life was going to be this, and but now it's that. And what is God doing? And so there are going to be times that we just have to wait upon the Lord and trust him because we can't see all that God is up to. But if we believe in the character and nature of our father, that he's a good and loving father, then we can trust even in times when we don't understand what he's up to. He's got my best interest at heart. Have you ever doubted the path that God has placed you on? Sometimes He uses unexpected circumstances to put you where He wants you, or He will send you down a path that you didn't expect to take when you began to follow Him. Pastor Gary teaches you today about how David went down several unknown paths in an effort to flee King Saul. Everywhere David went, he encountered the Lord's favor. And likewise, you can trust in God to set the path before you, even when the road ahead is unclear. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 21 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. This I know because God is for me. In God, I will praise his word. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Vows made to you are binding upon me, O God. I will render praises to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Have you not kept my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? Amen. And so these are the things that, you know, as David is going through this, he's just pouring out his heart, this kind of raw emotion. That's what I love about David when he writes many of the Psalms. He just kind of pours out raw emotion. And these are the things he's going through. And he writes about how God was faithful to him and God delivered him. And did you notice there a similar theme between Psalm 34 and 56? He he surrenders his fears to God. He surrenders his fears to God. Read those Psalms again. Just mark down in the margin of your Bible. You can go back here to 1 Samuel 21. Just write down Psalm 34, Psalm 56. And when you find yourself in a situation where fear is overtaking you, just read those Psalms again and let the word of the Lord minister to you. Well, into chapter 22, we're going to see another Psalm, but let's go back here to 1 Samuel 22. Verse 1 says, David therefore departed from there. So now he's leaving Gath, and he escaped to the cave of Adulam. Adulam in Hebrew means refuge. And he's going to, again, he's going to go from place to place to place, always on the run, trying to stay one step ahead of Saul. Because as soon as he gets one place, then word gets to Saul, and so he has to escape to another place. And he's come now to the cave at Adulam. So We'll come back to 1 Samuel, but now go to Psalm 142, because he writes a Psalm 142, 
when he was in the cave there in Adyalam. And he writes this as a prayer. It tells us that the subtitle is Psalm 142. The subtitle says, A Contemplation of David, A Prayer When He Was in the Cave. You see that? And so, you know, put yourself there in his shoes. He's like on the run. He's still by himself. He's going to accumulate an army of misfits. Uh, We'll see in a moment. But for the moment, listen to how he pours out his heart here in Psalm 142. I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then you knew my path and the way in which I walk. They have secretly set a snare for me. Look on my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. You're going to notice a play on word, refuge. He's going to mention a few times here. Adyalam. He's in this cave. It's a play on words. He's like, I'm in the cave of refuge, but I feel like everybody else has failed me. But he's going to cling to the Lord. Notice, he says, no one cares for my soul. Verse 5, I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. See that? He talks about how he's figuratively in a prison. He's like, you know, I'm... I'm, Held up in this cave. I, you know, people are hunting me down. They're trying to kill me. But he cries out to the Lord. And he says, here I am in the cave of refuge, the cave of Adyalam. But you, Lord, are my refuge. Because no one else seems to care in the moment for David. And there are going to be times that people will fail you. But the Lord will never fail you. And he realizes that God is my refuge. He is my ever-present help in times of trouble. So go back here to 1 Samuel 22. I share those different psalms with you because that's all happening during the scene back here in 1 Samuel 21 and 22. To just kind of let you have a window into David's soul here. And as he pours out his heart to God and, you know, just the agony and the loneliness and the fear that is overtaking him. And he's just giving all this to the Lord. So here he is in the cave of Ajalon, back here in chapter 22, the rest of verse 1 says, So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. Now this is a wonderful thing. His family at first had not been all that you know, kind towards him. Remember his dad, Jesse, didn't even bring David in from the field for Samuel to choose him as potentially the next king. The seven brothers got passed over until the eighth. Oh yeah, I have a little kid out in the fields keeping watch over the flocks. Bring that guy in. That's the anointed of the Lord. And And David would write, though my mother and my father forsake me, the Lord will never forsake me. He writes that in the Psalms. And so he's a guy who has been really kind of cast out by his own family, but now they're coming to him. And they're coming to him probably for two reasons. One, because they genuinely love him and care about him, despite the fact that maybe not always they've shown it. But number two, you have to remember, Saul hates David, and therefore Saul hates anyone associated with David. And you know how evil people work. If they can't get to you, they'll get to your loved ones in order to get to you. 
And so probably for a sake of their own safety, they come down to where David is. They find him there in verse 2. And everyone who was in distress, here's where this motley army starts to gather around him. Notice this. And everyone who was in distress, the three Ds, distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. And so he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. Wow. You got the best of the best, don't you, David? You got all the distressed, the ones in debt, and the discontented. Discontented in Hebrew translates bitterness of soul. <laughs> so you, got a, you got a lot of angry people. You got a lot of people who owe a lot of money. They're discontent. I mean, he gets an army off the island of misfits. This is who he has got around them here. And this motley crew, this, this army, and, and his parents are there with him. 400 guys now are surrounding him. So this is the makeup of his army. But look at verse 3. Then David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. Now Moab is on the other side of the Dead Sea. It's on the eastern side of the Dead Sea in what is today the land of Jordan. And why is he going there? He goes to Moab and he said to the king of Moab, please let my father and mother come here with you till I know what God will do for me. And so he brought them before the king of Moab and they dwelt with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. The stronghold is just a rocky hiding place or a cave because David was on the run. So here's what David is doing. He's like, I got to put my parents under the witness protection program because Saul's likely to kill them as much as he's trying to kill me. So he goes over to Moab to a distant place to a foreign king. And he says, can my family stay here with you until I figure out what God's up to? I don't understand everything that God is doing. You know, even this has got to be greatly perplexing to David. You got to think about this. He was literally anointed with oil around age 10 to 15 to be the next king of Israel. Here he is now in his early 20s, and he's still not king, and he's on the run. Do you suppose for a moment or two it entered into David's mind, what is God up to? I thought God wanted me to be king. Why is it if he wanted me to be king that Saul is trying to kill me? This doesn't seem to compute in my head. I'm supposed to be king, but obviously not yet. And what I'm doing is just running for my life. So this is very confusing to David. There are going to be many times and seasons in our lives when we're wondering, like, what is God up to? I don't understand what he's up to. I don't get what he's doing here. I thought life was going to be this, but now it's that. And what is God doing? And so there are going to be times that we just have to wait upon the Lord and trust him because we can't see all that God is up to. But if we believe in the character and nature of our father, that he's a good and loving father, then we can trust even in times when we don't understand what he's up to, he's got my best interest at heart. And we have to just rely on that. We have to lean on the character and nature of God when God doesn't make sense to our human finite minds. We have to just recognize God is a good God. He's a father who loves me. And even when things aren't happening the way I might prefer, I'm going to trust him because he loves me. He has my best interest at heart. I trust him because of who he is. And David is in that spot. He's like, I don't know what God's up to. So please, King of Moab, can you hold my family until I figure out what God is doing? Now, remember, why did he go to Moab? His great-grandmother, Ruth, was a Moabitess. And he realized that, you know, he's got Moabite blood in his life, in his heritage. And so maybe he would be well received there and they would take care of him, of his family. And so they do. David goes back into hiding. So now he goes back on the eastern side of the Dead Sea area. This is the wilderness of Judah down around the Dead Sea area. He goes back into the stronghold. And then verse 5 says, 
Now the prophet Gad said to David, circle Gad's name there, said to David, do not stay in the stronghold, depart and go to the land of Judah. And so David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. This is the first mention of this particular prophet in the Bible. His name is Gad. We will hear more of him. We don't read of him again until 2 Samuel chapter 24, when David does a very foolish thing. He counts the fighting men in his army, and that's a no-no because he's taking pride in the number of his fighting men, and so there's consequences to pay. And Gad the prophet shows up again and confronts David, like, you're going to have some bad choices here, brother, because you are doing something that does not honor God. And so basically, whenever this prophet would show up, you'd be like, he gads, you know, because here he comes. <laughs> it's kind of an old expression, like my parents would do that, he gads, I don't even know what that means. But anyway, so this is that guy, the prophet Gad, and he says, don't stay here, go to the land of Judah. And so David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. And it'll be here now that God will begin to exercise him. Just spiritually speaking, God is going to prepare him and strengthen him. God is going to teach him. God is going to make him a courageous man, prepared to be king. And so it says, when Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered. Now Saul was staying in Gibeah under a tamarisk tree in Ramah with his spear in his hand. Okay, you a picture of a guy like ready to kill somebody. And all his servants standing about him. And then Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Here now, you Benjamites, will the son of Jesse, meaning David, give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? All of you have conspired against me, and there is no one who reveals to me that my son, Jonathan, has made a covenant with the son of Jesse, and there is not one of you who is sorry for me or reveals to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is this day. Okay, so again, you just see in, you know, into Saul's heart here, a very troubled man, a very tormented man, and he's turning to some of his own guys, and he says, like, none of you guys care about me, and none of you guys have tried to do anything to help me, and my own son, Jonathan, has a strong friendship with David, and none of you guys have told me this, and so you're all conspiring against me. I just know it. You know, just the paranoia here, just this reckless paranoia. And so one guy speaks up. Here we go. Now we're back to Doeg. Verse 9 says, Then answered Doeg the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul. And he said, well, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him, gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. So Doeg is a little snitch. As I said last time, Doeg is just one letter off of a dog. He is a dog. This guy's a bad dude. And he's like snitching on Ahimelech. He's like, yeah, you know what, Saul? Get the idea of Doeg here. He's, you know, very self-promoting. He's, you know, very proud. He's a guy who wants to ingratiate himself with the king. So he's like, yeah, I know. All all these other friends of yours, you know, they haven't really spoken up. I'll speak up. I'm going to tell you something about David. You know what I saw? I was a knob, and I saw David talking to Ahimelech the priest. You know what Ahimelech did? Ahimelech gave him bread, and Ahimelech gave him a sword, and Ahimelech discerned what God's will was for him. That's where I saw him. And Saul's like, you saw him with Ahimelech the priest? Look what happens here. Verse 11, so the king sent to call Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests who were in Nob, and they all came to the king, 
And Saul said, Here now, son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. And then Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, you and David? He doesn't even call David by his name. In that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him that he should rise against me to lie in wait as it is this day. And so Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who among all your servants is as faithful as David, who is the king's son-in-law? Which is true. David was married to Michal, Saul's daughter, who goes at your bidding and is honorable in your house. Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Far be it from me. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to any in the house of my father, for your servant knew nothing of all this, little or much. Now, let me qualify what Ahimelech is saying. Remember when David went to Ahimelech, he kind of makes up this ruse, like I'm on a secret mission from King Saul. I got my army buddies out on the other side of the tabernacle. Do you have any bread? Do you have a sword? Ahimelech really is innocent in all of this. He's just like, the guy showed up. You know, what am I to do? He's like one of the most honorable servants of the king's court. He serves you like I do. He's a hero in Israel. Of course I helped him out. So Ahimelech's not thinking he's doing anything wrong. He's the high priest at this time and the other Levite priests are with him. And look how it tragically ends. The king said in verse 16, you shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. And then the king said to the guards who stood about him, turn and kill the priests of the Lord because their hand also is with David and because they knew when he fled and did not tell it to me. But the servants of the king would not lift their hands to strike the priests of the Lord. Good for them. Take a principle from them in chapter 22. It is better to fear God more than man. The servants of King Saul were given an order. Strike down all the priests. Kill them. Because they've conspired against me. They're friends with David. Any friend of David is an enemy of mine. And the servant said, no, thank you. You are asking us to do something that would dishonor God. We talked about this on a Sunday morning a few weeks ago. When the disciples were told by the religious leaders of the day, do not go around preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And they said, judge for yourselves. Is it right for us to obey you more than God? No. We must obey God rather than man. Here's another example of civil disobedience. Now, they might pay a consequence for this. But nevertheless, they stood up to the king and they defied the king's orders because the king's orders were in violation of the higher law of God. They are not going to strike down innocent men like this. They are not going to take the priests of God, their lives, just because the king is angry and insecure. They refuse to do it, except Doeg. Verse 18, and the king said to Doeg, You turn and kill the priests. And so Doeg the Edomite turned and struck the priests and killed on that day 85 men who wore a linen ephod. That's the garment of the priests. Also Nob, the city of the priests, he struck with the edge of the sword both men and women, children and nursing infants, oxen and donkeys and sheep with the edge of the sword. I mean, it's just indiscriminate slaughter. This is a horrible scene here, and it didn't need to happen. You know why it happened? Because one man was jealous and envious. It's point number two, principles from chapter 22. Jealousy and envy are destructive sins. 
They're very destructive sins. Envy is when you covet who someone is or what they have, and you want who they are or what they have. Jealousy is when you resent who they are or what they have. But they are twin sins, and both of them lead to very destructive things. Jealousy and envy. Saul was a jealous and envious man. He didn't want David to have the popularity and notoriety that he did, especially not more than his own popularity and notoriety. But at the same time, he wished that he was David and had that kind of popularity and notoriety. And it led him into this reckless paranoia that resulted in the slaughter of countless numbers of people. Look, if you struggle with jealousy or envy of some kind, you confess that as sin and get rid of that because it will lead to some kind of destructive end result. I'm not saying necessarily murder, although I watch enough of that stuff on TV to know that a lot of jealousy and envy have led to a lot of sad stories of murder. But it is destructive. Those are twin sins that lead to Great destruction, as it does here. Verse 20 says, Now one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled to David. So there's still a line of the priestly order. Abiathar escaped. He fled to David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the Lord's priests. And so David said to Abiathar, I knew that day when Doag the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul. And then David says, I have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. I mean, he feels terribly responsible, even though he's not really responsible. He's like, you know, all of this in pursuit of my life, your father and your household were caught in the crosshairs of a madman trying to kill me. He says, I feel terrible. I feel responsible. And he says to Abiathar, stay with me. Do not fear for he who seeks my life seeks your life. But with me, you shall be safe. Let's just let the Lord minister to our hearts here. Lord, we, we thank you for the reminder of David's life, a man on the run. He trusted you. He turned his fears over to you. He sought you as his refuge and his strength. And we contrast that with a madman like Saul, and we see just how reckless he was. And the things that he ended up doing, that were so sinful and so evil and so terrible. A man who once walked with you, a man who was so humble with you, ends up becoming a man who does unspeakable things, Lord. And so we can learn from both. We can emulate David and realize that the fears that he had, the anxieties that he has, we can learn from that. We can read the Psalms and you can minister to our own anxious hearts. And we can learn from a guy like Saul and we can see just the downward spiral of his life and we can take note and say, Lord, far be it from me, but by the grace of God go I. So Lord, help us in our lives also to live in a way that would please you and honor you. We thank you for your word, Lord. Speak to our hearts, minister to us, Lord, and we give you the praise and the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Cornerstones, your connection, run towards your new life.
That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this message from 1 Samuel again, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Under the Teachings option, you can download our mobile app to stay connected with God's Word everywhere you go. You will also find our companion resources. These digital study guides are meant to give you even more insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done and are available free of charge to you. While you're there, take a minute to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify so you never miss another message. You'll also find links with more information about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you in person. Come visit us. You'll find service times and more information about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstoneconnection.cc. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. So put a marker in your Bible where we left off today in 1 Samuel and make plans to join Pastor Gary next time. Thanks again for listening to today's teaching right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know